Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being tape recorded. My name is Paul Maleri and this is XJob Downloaded and today I'm going to interview Mandy Chapman. Now Mandy was a Metropolitan Police Officer. She now volunteers with Essex Police but she looks after, or custodian I should say, of the beautiful Baloo. Now thank you so much for coming in. It's it's grim outside and it'll be a few weeks and hopefully the sun will be shining when people are listening to this. But Mandy, thanks for coming around today. Where did it all begin? Well, the story with Baloo began a little while back um, in 2018 when I'd been retired for a little while and I'd already started volunteering with Essex Police. I was not going to be one of those moany retired cops. I was literally volunteering with Essex Police. I was handing out leaflets at recruitment days. Um, After burglaries, we were handing out leaflets, doing all sorts of different things. The chief inspector at Chelmsford even had me standing on a cordon. Which Who was that at the time? Oh, gosh, that, oh, I can't Jerry remember. Jerry Parker. It was Jerry Parker, <laughs> yes, he loved. I saw him the other week at West Ham. He's in the Metropolitan Police now. He was going to the Met just after that, yeah. and I did say to him on the day, I said, Governor, no one ever in the Met managed to get me standing on a cordon, and you managed to do it. But, uh-huh. uh, yeah, I was doing all sorts with them, and I'd got to know uh, most of the dogs and handlers in Essex Police, great bunch. And I'd watched Baloo working with a handler, a lovely guy. P.C. Ashcroft, and fantastic dog. She'd come to the force in 2018, and she'd already hit the ground running. Superb dog, Belgian Malinois, fantastic personality. Unfortunately, um, at the end of October 2018, whilst deployed on a job, Loughton's ground, um, she was hit by a car. They hit her as they were leaving a crime scene to get away. They looked after her. They rushed her to the nearest vet for sedation, took her up straight away to Dick White's in Newmarket, the best vet in the country, where she was really well looked after. Unfortunately, the first day she was operated on, and the biggest operation is on the rear end where her pelvis was rebuilt with metal, metal rods down into her back legs. The following day, as soon as she recovered, they had to remove her front right leg. That had been too badly crushed to keep. Um, She was then in a crate for a month. And then in December, she was allowed out of the crate and she ran around that room for cuddles. She's the sweetest dog. A typical Belgian Malinois loves her cuddles, Mm. but she has got such a fantastic nature. Ross Ashcroft got the dog back, cuddled her. She was lovely to be back home with her family. And I was one of thousands, literally over 2,700 people came forward to look after Baloo. Uh, but luckily, I was already vetted by Essex Police, already part of the uh, team that knew her and knew how to look after her. Because initially, it was five to six hours a day of massage therapy and other therapies and works in conjunction with Rittle University College to look after her. And Rittle have looked after her superbly ever since. We still go for weekly or fortnightly hydrotherapy, magnet therapy laser treatment they've been astonishing in her recovery she is 30 kilos of fun muscle and strength she does 5k canine cross runs she's a phenomenal dog 
Yeah, she is. I, I'm, I was lucky enough to meet her earlier on, and uh, she is absolutely beautiful. Where did it start for you, though? I mean, where are you from originally? Originally, I moved from the northwest all the way down to London um, at the time in 1983, all those years ago. Um, the only forces recruiting at the time were the Metropolitan Police and West Midlands. Um, so I was working in Manchester at the time for House of Fraser, and I got the letter from the Metropolitan Police, and I thought, well, if you're going to move, you may as well move 200 miles. So I did. I joined the Met, and um, I did two years probation on Southwark Borough, then I did three years playing clothes on the M District Crime Squad, where I learned a lot from some incredible people. And then I returned to uniform because all I ever wanted to be was a dog handler. So it was a bit of a shock for a few people to suddenly have a woman working with them. We had to uh, suddenly find a room for a female locker room at the base. And uh, so we uh, started there in 89. I got my first pup and I started on the streets of South East London with my dog in March 91. And where was the base then? It was at Catford. Oh, okay. I did used to get told off for answering the phone Catford Dogs because there was a famous <laughs> dog trap there and apparently you're supposed to answer the phone much more professionally than that. <laughs> but I did answer it as Catford Dogs and was told off many times for doing that. Hilarious. It was um, 83. I did a podcast with a, a lovely, lovely man by the name of Alan Evershed and he was, a, he was a chief superintendent down in Southwark around that sort of time. Yes, he was my boss for quite a while and we also worked together on the opening ceremony of the International Association for Women Policing Conference in the 90s. We worked together on that, the parade of flags. We had pipers. We had drum bands. Lovely man. The circle is gentleman. complete. He's a gentleman. He is a gentleman. He does walking tours, I believe, in London. He does. He's an amazing man. He's a volunteer at the Tower of London, and and I'm I'm up there with him. There's a there's a group of us, and he's and that's how I know him from oh, the you from must the give Tower. Him my love, I'd love to buy the man a pint. Oh, well, I will. Or probably get you... a very expensive whiskey. No, no, he does, he's he's not a huge drinker, but I will. I'll, I'll, I'll speak buy him to him whatever later he on. Would like. Oh no, he's in fact you get mentioned, or that event gets mentioned in his podcast. Oh, well, it was superb. It was it was been remembered for many many years. Yeah, yeah. No, well, there yeah. you go. Small world. So you're at Cat for Dogs. Yes. <laughs> what was that like? I mean, look, the, the 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 world is evolving in the police service, thankfully, and um, people are more accepting of other people now. I hope. But what was that like? As probably one of the first women dog handlers. Yes, I was, I was the first southeast female. I'd say there was no women's locker room. Um, my locker did a tour of it was in a corridor for a while, then it was in the ladies' loo, then it was in the traffic warden's um, locker room, which was on the top floor, so my muscles were, were getting stronger, carrying my kit bag that far. Um, yes, to be honest, uh, there were several dog handlers who were really not happy to have a woman there, but there were a couple of older dog handlers and younger dog handlers. It was regardless of age. Some really supported me and Good. they were fantastic, helped me a great deal with my dog. Um, it, it didn't matter about age or service. You had trouble with the boys in the job, but never with the men in the job. And I could think that has been the case for my 30 years service. But I think that's always been the case. I think Absolutely. there's always been, you know, petty jealousies, uh, face fitting, somebody's, you know, they've, they've moved in from a different borough or district and all of a sudden they're, they're going into a clique. Mm-hmm. It, it's a it is a club. At the end of the day, the police service is a very. It's still an exclusive club. I believe in that. I know people have let us down, 
even us retired. Yes. I, but yes, I indeed. still believe it's it's a club, and it's it's probably the best club in the world. It can be, and that's very much the case for dog handling because dog handling is the only department you go into that affects you twenty four seven three six five. You take the best bit of kit you can ever be given in policing. You take it home. That bond is incredible. You know, you and the dog are never apart. The only time I've ever been apart from my police dogs is one week a year when I go snow skiing. And obviously you cannot take your dog snow skiing. because no. you know, Apart from that, it would probably be better than me at skiing as well. <laughs> but that's the only time I've ever been apart from my dog. So you've got that incredible bond. And you'll never stop learning. And good dog handlers will always look out for each other and will always help each other. So I never had an issue with good dog handlers because they'll want you to succeed. They'll want you and your dog to be the best you can be. So when I look back, it's the weaker people and the weaker dog handlers that I, you know, you would have an issue with, yeah. I and others had an issue with. And it's not just being a female. I look at the other handlers that I worked with that had issues with a couple of the bullies. And you think, yeah. Those bullies, they were never good dog handlers. They were never happy at home. No. And, uh, do you know, it, it's it's that type all the time. And if they weren't bullies there, they'd be bullies somewhere else. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's, it is, you know, like I say, the police is the police. and It's reflective of society. It's it's the same in any any occupation. I think it's amplified particularly in policing. I think. Yeah, and I do, I things like the case report, I do find, you know, particularly sad Um because I know how hard some se- some senior managers work to yes. prevent things from happening. And I know how hard the majority of police officers work to prevent things from going wrong. I mean, yes. I'm not going to get into the depth of the, the, the mm. report, but you know, they're hard-working coppers. And if things happen, sometimes they happen because there's no other there's no alternatives you know the searches and things yeah. like that but so you're at Catford dogs I can't say that without smiling now and you so you would have covered the whole of southeast London or were yes. you pan yeah pan covered London? the whole of southeast London um I with my first dog he didn't stay very long he was a massive dog I used to work with a very tall chap who had a very small bitch and it, it just looked as though we had the wrong dogs you know I would be standing there at five foot six with this very big dog he would be standing there at six foot two with his very small dog. And we just looked ridiculous as if we had the wrong dogs, but great fun. But um, he didn't work for very long. He, he just was a bit scared out on the streets. And then I got a super dog, second second one. Um, and I just absolutely loved it and was lucky enough to work with some fantastic people and just loved everything about dog handling. The thirst for knowledge, the fact that you're always improving, you're always learning. You learn from other people every time you're training. And I specialised with my second dog. He was a firearms search dog. So not the dogs that assist the firearms teams when they're searching, but searching for firearms and, and weapons. Yeah. So that would take me beyond South East London. And so I started to get to know the rest of London a little bit better as well. Did you run a G- GP, general purpose dog so as yes, well? So, yes, just I only ever worked general purpose dogs, and I worked for German Shepherds. And the last two dogs I worked, I worked as victim recovery dogs right. and blood detection, what we used to call human remains dogs. Yes. So with being in South East London, you've got your mill walls and all your other yes. stuff. What was that like tipping out to – because people listening to this have never been scared. I've been yeah. scared, you know, and, yeah. and because you've got that – and I say it often, but you, when, you're, when you're on CID, you've got a bit of plastic that will get you around on a tube, but you think that's going to save your life if you start challenging someone. But actually, as a, a full-on frontline officer, the dogs and the horses would, you know, public order and all that, what was that actually like? 
Yeah, I've been um, we've policed Millwall and various other football matches, and we've I can remember on one occasion you're listening over the radio and you you look around and realise that you know the, the people around you, the units around you, are being pulled away to deal with outbreaks of violence, and you you're looking forwards and realising that you've been left alone, and there was four dogs and handlers. I was one of them, and you're looking at a group of a couple of hundred that are moving towards you, realising you've got no backup. And then you watch them start tipping the bottle banks over and they start then throwing those at you. And you realise that you are going to have to shout for assistance. And that rarely happens where the dog section shout yeah. for assistance, uh, which we did. We had to. And we then, you know, got those several hundred running at us. And there is a point where we have had to withdraw. And as we are withdrawing, it was along Ilderton Road, South East 16. As we are withdrawing, the sight of a V-shape of horses at full run with batons raised towards you. All it needed was the, the you know, the the cry of the Valkyries playing yeah. in your ear in the background yeah. um, to see them coming towards you, followed by a shield serial. Um, you literally breathe in and let the horses pass, and then you fall in. Unfortunately, only three dogs could fall in behind because the sergeant was already injured with a collarbone injury right. and, and his dog was injured. Um, but the three of us fell in behind the horses and um, we won the day. We were able to push them back. But what sticks with me from that day is that amongst those hundreds that were attacking us um, was the children. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean children. I don't mean teenagers. I mean children under the age of 10 that were picking up bottles and rocks and they took apart somebody's front garden wall and were throwing rocks at us. And, and they were under 10. And I think that's what struck me most. Uh, and yeah. you, you know they get swept up in that violence, and you you know you wonder how how they are now. Were they did they continue along that road of violence? So I think the violence I've seen is something that stays with you, yeah, not absolutely. just at football, you know, outside pubs and so on. That yeah, when you see someone you. who's been glassed and the yeah. and the wounds are so horrendous, and also really how you become accustomed to it, you know, know. what what you. You're on your knees helping somebody and dealing with things, and then you walk away once the, the incredible London Ambulance Service deal with them. You walk away, and it's later when you sit down and have a cup of tea and think, gosh, I walked away with that and almost dealt, it, dealt with it as commonplace. And you yeah. think, gosh, that, we shouldn't be dealing with this as if it's commonplace. That was awful. But the, the thing is that what goes with those incidents comes the humour, which mm. if you had a fly on the wall, and if they were listening to the humour and the banter that takes place... It's second to none. I mean, I, I yeah. would imagine that military humour is probably very similar. Yes, yeah. But if you didn't have that humour, sometimes you wouldn't get through that event or that evening, you know, where mm. people, you know, taking the mickey out of each other or, or what have you. Absolutely. I mean, I did um, these series uh, in, I think it was 2010, uh, the last series of Sending the Dogs. Oh, did you? So I had, um, oh, yes, I got teased mercilessly for that. As you can, I apparently said on camera that I had the prettiest dog in the Met. I did. I stand by it. But I had a cameraman with me for a couple of weeks, fantastic guy called Chris, and um, he was just really amazed at the amount of abuse we get from just Mr and Mrs Ordinary. Yeah. You know, you'd pull up in the, the stripy Mondeo estate next to somebody in traffic who's clearly holding a massive iPhone to their ear, and you'd toot the horn gently and say, please don't use your phone. And they'd go, what? Please don't use your phone. I wasn't using my phone. Go, oh, yeah pull over and you'd say, you know, please don't use your phone. You know, it distracts you and yeah. you couldn't see me in the police car next to you. And 
and they'd be abusive or whatever. So then you'd start to talk about giving them a ticket and then they realise the seriousness of it and uh, then admit it. And you think, well, I mean, just why didn't you just sorry. say, yeah, you know, yeah. it was an important call. And I'd say, yeah, I appreciate that, but, you know, please be careful because you're distracted yeah. and you might have an accident and it is an offence and, you, you know, it takes away the chance of giving them a warning. But And he was astonished at how rude people were and how much abuse we take daily in you know South East London and so on. And, yeah, so it was quite an eye-opener for him, bless him. And, and the, the, the problem is that the authors of some of these reports and the, the damning exercises that have taken place of the Met and all the other forces, they haven't experienced that side. They haven't mm. experienced a 10-year-old kid or a 9-year-old kid who's yeah. running crack cocaine yeah. and heroin round for their drug dealer. Mm. All they've spoken to is the parent of that child who says, yeah. oh, my child was strip-searched. Well, why were they strip-searched? Yeah. And and But the public at large, and I stand by this, still like the police, the majority yeah. of the public. They'll moan. Oh, I think it used to be I got done for speeding. Now it's like nobody's attending my burglary. That's how it's yeah. evolved. But actually they still call us when... Call the police when yeah. they when they want something, but the police have got some things to change. I, I, I get that. When you're down there, how long were you in that particular section? At, at Catford. At Catford, yeah. Yeah, well, we stayed at I stayed at Catford um, working the dogs. Then there was um, a change in how we worked, and a few of us were split. Some of us were sent to Erith on what was the old yeah. R district to work. Um, so there was some of us at Erith and, and we were split into smaller groups. Uh, that was a little bit easier. I loved it. That was the shortest journey I had to work. So at oh, the really? time I was living at Greenhithe. Um, so I had a slightly shorter journey to work for a very short period of time, which was great. Um, we found that a little bit easier because at the time the Met was working the same shifts. So we were actually working with the same shift of people on each area oh, where nice. we were at each borough. So they got to know you. They knew how hard you would work. You would go and look for anything and you would search all the time. So that was really good. You built up a rapport with the people you were working with. Um, and then, obviously, we had a change of senior officer again or something, I don't know, and we all went back to Catford again. But um, So I was always based southeast. but I think once I became a victim recovery handler as well, I was then, and the blood detection work really took off, I was then working all over the Met and beyond. Um, so I was working outside the Met quite a bit as well then. So, but yeah, South East London was always, you know, my favourite patch to work. It was home. I, yeah, I yeah. particularly worked, loved working in that area. If a car went missing, you know, if a car was stolen for a certain area, I'd have an idea of what estate it might be found on or looked at or, you know, I'd, I'd know where to have a little look first for it. And maintaining that um, continuity within working with the same shifts, you got to know the personalities that you're yes. working with. Yeah. They got to know you, but you also got to know the the local intelligence around the same individuals because every shift may have a different target or they'll yes. be discussing different people, but you would know who, who you were going after. Yeah, when we were working those smaller areas um, and we were predominantly working on our districts, which, which is um, Greenwich, Bexley Heath and so on, we, you know, we were predominantly working that, but we'd also assist on the other boroughs like Lewis and Peckham and, and Croydon and so on when that, you know, that area needed some extra cover. But we would finally get the chance to get to know people. And I, I can remember one week of night duty, we arrested the same burglary team three out of those seven nights. Yeah. And, and one lad even knew my dog's name <laughs> and, and was saying, oh, Bray, ah, miss, miss, I'm over here, Bray, ouch, ouch. You know, because he tried to run away from my dog for the third night in a row. 
that week, you know, and, and I just said, keep still, keep still. Yeah. You know, and I said, why do you keep running? When I got hold of him and, you know, caught my dog off to leave, which he did, and held on to him and obviously arrested him again for, again for burglary. But, you know, he was out again the next night. Yeah. And guess what? The next night he was arrested again. But, um, yeah, you got to know your burglars. They knew you were fair with them because I was always fair with people, spoke to them normally. Yeah. I mean, some people just continue to be abusive, but it's not personal. It's for the uniform, isn't it? So yeah, absolutely. There's yeah. no point in taking – you know, they were direct, very personal and nasty comments to you, but there's no point in taking it personally because, you know, people, but I would say to people, it's cops and robbers. You know, look at how many you've got away with. You've been caught today or yeah. tonight. Just take it on the chin. In we go. And yeah, people absolutely. would quite often just go, well, I suppose you're right. And in they go. And they'd be as good as gold. If you're in Tesco's and they saw you and yeah. they recognise you, they'd be as good as gold, but most of the time. But, yeah, it's a, it's a nice area because you've got a real mixture of, you know, you, you've got your your Brixtons and mm. your Claphams and all, you know, it's a very, very diverse. I love it. I love it. Every every, every ground is. Every ground's <clears> got a really nice mixture, I yeah. think. And And... All of it, as we always used to joke, if you took a wrong turn and went down a dead end, all of it's got to be policed, you know, because you pretend that you've gone down there on purpose. Yeah. But I think everywhere, you know, you've got different things and everyone deserves to see you as well. But oh, yeah, I, I, I always agree. slow down and, and make sure if somebody looks, you give them a wave or, you know, and take the chance to say hello sometimes. Yeah, when you've got a dog, when you get out with the dog, people will talk to you far more readily than they will if you're just a normal officer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I've had so much intel. You know, when I've been exercising my dog or, you know, even just walking to a scene with my dog, people talk to you and take yeah. that opportunity as well. Yeah, and you become a focal point, don't you? Mm -hmm. And the thing is, and we, you, you alluded to it earlier on, it is a 24-7 job mm -hmm. because you can't just put your dog in the locker and hope that it's going no. to be there the next morning. You have to take it for a walk, feed yeah. it, yeah. vets, the whole lot. Three in the morning trying to get some tablets into them if they've got an upset tummy or something else. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's something that impacts your your life throughout. And the rules around exercise in your police dog are huge. You know, you can't be near a road. You've got to be not in a public park or everything else. And There's lots of rules, and I've been very lucky to have access to land that I can run my dogs on. So I've always been very lucky. <laughs> when, when I was a young PC, um, they shall remain nameless, but they'll be listening to this at some point. They let their dog go for a run over a field, and it caught a sheep. Oh, no. Oh, you can just imagine the ramifications yeah. of that because it's quite rural mm. and... Uh, yeah, but and what was training like? I mean, you 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 talked about the um, body recovery, blood dogs. I mean, what mm. what was that like? That from the I think your training courses. Um, I mean, I've been, you know, at Keston, I've met some of the best trainers that you could ever come across. They're all highly experienced, really knew their craft. Particularly the victim recovery instructors I've had, um, just phenomenal people. I mean, just. And love their craft, um, particularly as I say, the victim recovery is ninety percent really is about the handler and what you see, what you're looking for in nature, and we're, yeah. we're looking at people who have disposed of bodies and body parts. So you're you're looking really at what the handler can see, um, and then the rest is really what we then do with the dog and, and how we probe the ground and get the dogs to work. So, you know, I've been lucky enough to be able to work with those people and then to train with other colleagues. We talk to each other about jobs that we've been on, the results we've had. We adjust the training all the time, learning from when bodies have been found and how they've been found. And, and that's evolving all the time because we found that people were becoming far more forensically aware having watched programmes like CSI. Yeah. So 
you know, how it evolves has just been phenomenal, but we've got to keep learning and we've got to keep sharing that information. And I think that has been a fascination. I know it sounds very morbid, but learning all the time. And it's a very powerful thing to keep that learning and to share that learning. And that's something that we do nationally. Yeah. And that passion is really, really important and very, very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what does success look like from, I mean, did you work on any jobs where you recovered body parts? Yes, or? yeah, and recovered and recovered people as well. And I have to say that I've got to say 99% of the reason we all do it is for the families. I suppose, yeah. supposedly we should say, oh, it's 100% for the job, you know, to get evidence and everything. I've got to say from all the handlers that do it, 99%, we're doing it for the families. Yeah, I agree. To get their loved one back so that, you know, we've got closure for the family and 1% for the for the force to get their investigation and so on. But we're doing it for the families. Yeah. The thing is, it's not... If we, you know, if we start a search at the rear of a premises where a burglar's escaped the house and, you know, several gardens further along, we find them in a shed. Bark, bark, yep, they're handcuffed and taken away. That's a high five moment. When we're searching woodland and we find a body buried or, you know, or, or found, it's not a high five moment, no. but we're very... Proud, proud of our dog. Uh, we're very pleased to do that, but it's not a high five moment. But we're very, very happy to do that, and we're proud of our dogs. So it's a very, it's a real mix of emotions yeah, to do I, that. I but as a team, when I've been involved in that, we are proud of what we've achieved. Um, and yes, I've been lucky a number of times to have done that, and and to do that, you are proud of your dog to to do it. And I, I've. I have on occasion deployed my dog and, and you think, gosh, you know, this is a bit of a tick box. It's a bit, a bit far-fetched, you know. I don't think, don't think really we're going to find anything here. And then your dog just does something absolutely amazing and you think, right, um, well, she's given me an indication there. So, um, yeah, can you dig there, please? And then six hours later, I get a phone call. You're not going to believe this. I said, go on. Well, yeah, four feet down, we found a body and... Then you have to act all smug. Yes, well, I knew that. I knew that all along. Yes, I knew all along. You know, you think and in the at the end of the phone, you're going, "Wow, yeah, well, yeah, that was what she was telling us all along." And and the the thing is, you become the unsung heroes and heroines of the job because the headlines will show Metropolitan Police recover body for you know yeah. from a shallow grave or from a grave. Yeah, I remember when that that particular story that I mentioned just then um, came out. There was no mention of the dog, and that's fine because I know. Um, and I'm really proud of what she did that day. But, you know, it just came Can out. Can you say this... the job? No, I won't. Because, no, that's fine. Yeah, but um, it was it was in South East London, and it was a dispute between two drug dealers. Right. But the the incredible thing is that he'd been missing for over six months, and the dog actually gave the indication from a tree. She started to indicate along a branch, and then moved her nose along the branch, down the trunk, reversed away from the trunk and then indicated on an area wow. of slightly disturbed ground, which didn't look particularly interesting, but then was indicating on the ground. And that's where they started to dig. And, and there he was. And you just think, wow. Yeah. And obviously the forensic archaeologist said, obviously when they were digging down, I love the fact they have the smallest trowel. But then again, if you're being they paid do. that much per day, you would have a small trowel. <laughs> but um, they, when they dug down, um, obviously the tree roots had been cut to make the hole um, for right. the body. So obviously he'd been missing from April, and this was later in the year, after, at the end of the summer. So the tree roots have been drawing from 
this hole where the body was uh, decomposed for the whole of the summer and into the autumn. So the forensic archaeologists explained that the tree had drawn on that and it explained it to me. But, um, yeah, phenomenal. But you don't do it for notoriety. And apart no. from anything else, it, it it kind of puts a little bit of a target on you and your dog as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there is that aspect as yeah. well. But But like you say, when there is that success in your heart, it's like, yeah, we did that. Yeah, it, it's like, and you, you're just so proud of your dog, which yeah. I always was. You know, my, yeah. my dogs were were just lovely, and just what they did. Did you? Uh, I've got to ask this because I know we talk about public order, but I always used to, if I heard the horses behind me, I'd thinking, oh my life. And if I heard a dog barking, I think, here we go, I'm, mm. I'll be number one on the list. But they always used to wear the little booties, didn't they? I? Don't know if they, they like, uh, if there was glass and and whatever i remember going to a training and they had these little i suppose they're like kevlar boots that the, the dogs had on to prevent the glass from the from the bottles or the petrol going into their pads i had them for searching um for the victim recovery dogs i had them for if we were searching a fire ground right um we did that a couple of times when we were searching um to see if there's anybody had been caught within the fire yeah um, we had them there, but you have to get them. You have to get the dogs used to it very early on. Yeah. Because otherwise, they walk really, really strangely. <laughs> they they walk lifting each leg, flicking them out. Oh, do they? Yeah. So you have to get them used to them when they're young, if possible. Otherwise, they they walk almost like a very distorted Bambi, flicking their legs out to the side, trying to flick the flick the booties off. So yeah, if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, you have to get them used to it very early on. It's hilarious. I thought you were gonna say that they, they try and pull them off with Oh some will. Yeah. yeah, some will. They don't like them. But yeah, I got I always get my dogs and I get um, you know, handlers used to picking their dogs up because nine times out of ten when you go to a, a break in, they've broken glass to get in. Yeah. So I would always pick my dog up, carry them over the threshold to, you know, to get in yeah. to a premises because the last thing you need is a oh, cut, cut pad because then the dog's off for a, you know, a week or more to get over a cut pad. Yeah. So, you know, I'd often do that or your jacket would come off to go over a fence, barbed wire fence or anything else um, to make sure the dog doesn't get cut. A friend of mine, Kevin Rowe, he, he'll be listening to this. He's out in Spain now. He, I went to a burglary in Chelmsford, not far from the memorial, which we'll come on to later. A burglary at a church. I was a night DC. I thought, oh, you know, I'll turn out, turn up. And all of a sudden I hear, Please, dog, stand still. And his dog is coming down the aisle at me. I was like, oh, my life. And he stopped. Of course he stopped because I'd stopped, but I just I, I was absolutely petrified. It was a, a land shark who was coming mm. up the aisle at me. But absolutely brilliant. Yeah, never be the one moving. Always be the one standing still stand when there's still, a land yeah. shark loose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be the interesting one moving or, or shouting. <laughs> Always let that be the bad guy. What were the highlights? I mean, I would imagine you've had a number of highlights in, in the police service in particular. What was the highlight? Gosh, so many. Um, the things that my dogs have done, uh, the people that they found, and, and not just the you know the criminals that they found. I've got to be honest. I mean, over the years, my dogs have found amazing people. Um, I mean, my last, uh, my last dog, she was just phenomenal. I've, I've been blessed with four dogs working them. And they found some amazing people. I got commended in 2014 when I'd finished. I went back for that one because um, Carly uh, detained somebody. It was a fantastic chase and a, a big scrap that we had with him. And he'd been involved in a number of armed robberies and all sorts of 
really high level crime and that that was a fantastic job which we received the assistant commissioner's commendation from Cresta Dick and I got that in May 2014 for her um, so we'd actually finished in the October 2013 just after over my 30 years but we did some amazing things but with my second dog I can remember it was just after the terrible tragedy with the Soham girls Holly Wells and Jessica yeah. Chapman um, just after that we had two young girls go missing in, on Bexley Heath ground and it was all so fresh in our minds and I was working with a, another handler and we'd searched all the wooded areas, the parks and everything else and we were just wondering where on earth else we could search. And for some reason, I just, I don't know why, it just came to me, right, let's search the, the car park at the top of Westwood Lane. And he said, why do you want to search a car park? I said, well, because they, they can't be far, they can't be far. And we had some of the parents in police cars, some were stayed at home, they cannot be far away. And, and I just let my dog, and he was a big dog, big German Shepherd, and he'd had some really good results. And I just let him go down the far side of the car park that went on to sort of just some shrubs and bits and pieces. I didn't want him in between the cars. And I let him go down the far side, and I can remember Jeff saying to me, well, if two little girls had been in the car park, someone would have called it in. I said, oh, no, I just want to have a look down here. And I can never explain to this day why I had this thought. And I just watched him go along the back line of these cars and Jeff was driving around the car park, speaking to people, spreading the word. And I just watched my dog and he stopped, backed up, his tail started wagging. I thought, oh, and I caught him up. And as I caught him up, he was between the two cars. His ears were down, chilled, and these two little girls kneeling either side of him, stroking him. So, of course, I'm... I'm a roughy tufty cop dog handler, aren't I? So I can't speak. I'm, you know, I've got this lump in my throat. Oh, thank mm. goodness, they're both safe and well. So I think, well, I must tell somebody else about this. I can't keep this to myself. And I went, oh, girls, oh, thank goodness. You know, I've got some hairs on the back of my neck are going up now. Mm. So I thought, I've got to say something. Everybody needs to know these girls are safe. So I went, took a big gulp and yep. went, got them both. They're safe and well. Westwood Lane car park. And then... And I literally put my hands on the two girls and went, oh, I'm so glad you're okay. Is this your doggy? Oh. You know, and so I'm chatting. And then somebody over the radio says, dog handler, can you repeat? And I thought, no. No. It took every inch of me to say <laughs> that. There's no way I can repeat that. But, yeah, and then obviously Jeff managed to say, you know, we're in the, I think it was the co-op car park, top of Westwood. Like, then all we could hear was two tones come in and Jeff shouting, where are you? And and I said to, and I was waving my hand like this, and then I see him coming, and then everyone converged on us. Not a dry eye in the no, house, and I'm... everyone was shouting. And you know, and I said, and of course, I'm now speaking to the girls. Did you speak to anyone? Have you been with anyone? Because we are a yeah. good few hundred meters from where they'd gone missing from the house. Oh, because they were walking next door to where the other one lived. Right. And I said, what happened? And all that had happened is, as they were walking next door, they saw a man and they were frightened. So they ran across the road, the man crossed, nothing to do with them. They then ran across the other road and they've just got lost. And I worked out, bless them, nothing had happened. Oh. They just got scared, crossed a few roads, then got lost and then just were waiting, thinking we didn't know what to do. Dude. So happy ending all round. But there's this dog that, you know, the night before had been detaining burglars, yeah. barking at them, you know, close to them, barking at their faces as they're hiding in bushes, just wandered up to these two girls, 
ears down, just having a stroke, you know, and they know. He knew he had to find them and he did. But I just wish the public at large got to see the human side of policing mm. because we are, you know, I get very emotional when I watch stuff on the TV and we are we are cut out of the same cloth because we do it. We do policing. We did policing for the human side. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I, bel- I still That's why believe. I joined. People yeah. say, why did you join the police? And I, I joined to help people. Also, I mean, it's a terrible phrase of being a poop magnet, should we say. But um, I joined because of that, because before I joined the police, I was chasing shoplifters around Manchester. I'd scoop up the Pringle sweaters as they threw them on the floor and I'd scoop them up and still chase them. Showing your age now, Pringle yeah, sweaters. I know, yeah. From my, <laughs> golf, from my golf department, I was in the sports, sports shop. But, um, you know, I, things would happen in front of me. They, yeah. they still do. Yeah. So it was great for policing. But I joined to help people, and I still do that now. That's why I volunteer with Essex Police. Yeah. And that's why I volunteer all of my time for a couple of charities now. Um, and that is simply why I joined. So, I mean, you, you've gone on this journey with Baloo and you've you've got involved in volunteering when you when you left the Met. What was the inspiration to become a volunteer then? Just to do something. Just I wanted to I wanted to volunteer my time to do things. I also am an ambassador with Dogs on the Streets. Uh, initially, that was in London. I got to know Michelle Clark, who founded that. Who is an incredible woman. Um, she's an amazing lady. Gives all her time, money, everything to set up that charity. And what that charity does, it looks after the dogs of the homeless, uh, predominantly in London, uh, but they also reach out to Oxford, Milton Keynes, other areas. And what she does is she looks after those dogs. They're all registered. They all have proper collars, harnesses, leads. And every Sunday she takes a van with a vet and helpers onto the Strand, right by Charing Cross Police Station. And the homeless people know to get there on the Sunday. They'll get a carry bag, and that's full of seven days' food for the dog, (sighs) treats. The dogs are looked at by the vet. They're treated. They have a regular worming and, you know, regular flea treatment and so on. Um, but Michelle doesn't stop there. She actually, these these people learn that they can trust Michelle. She's got lots of them off the streets. She's got them into work. She's got them into accommodation. She also looks after dogs where people are in domestic abuse situations and they're trying to get into accommodation. A lot of accommodation won't take them because no. they've got a dog. So Michelle will look after the dog at their kennels, their sanctuary, for a period of time until they can then get into accommodation that will allow dogs. So she'll look after the dog and and you go to a lot of kennels and there's lots of barking, there's lots of noise. Mm. Now, you go to their kennels, it's chilled. You've got classical radio playing and everything mm. else and you go in and the dogs are happy. She knows every dog's name, you know, and they, they're all getting treats and they're, you know, they've all got beds and it, it, she's just a phenomenal lady. She's written two books. Um and inspired by her her dog Poppy, uh, and they are phenomenal. Get, you know, go on Amazon if you can and support yeah. the charity if you can. We'll put it's, all the links yeah, into your into absolutely the phenomenal charity they are, and she has made a difference to so many people. So I'm proud to be ambassador for that. And I started that when I was still working uh, in the Met, uh, and she makes a difference to so many people. You know, you you get, and that's another thing the job has done. It's allowed me to meet oh. incredible people, and as I've said that. Everyone has a story. Take that time. I've met people. I've arrested people and I've taken the time to chat to them. I mean, yes, some people will just continue to abuse you, you know, but it's cops and robbers, isn't it? Just yeah. let them abuse you. It, it's not personal. But nine times out of ten, 
you can chat to people. They've all got their story. They've yeah. all got a reason. Yeah, I've have. chatted to people and I've met people. I can remember getting stopping to get something to eat in the Asda in Bexley Heath once, and a chap came up to me and said, you don't recognise me, do you? And I thought, oh, gosh. Here we go. Here we go. Am I going to get abuse and stuff? And I said, I'd like to introduce you to her. And I said, sorry, who? He said, you nicked me and you said, when are you going to finally meet a girl that's going to stop you getting involved in all this petty rubbish? And I, I gave you a load of crap, he says. But, and I said, but here she is. And I did meet the girl and I stopped getting involved with them lads and, and we're now married and we've got a couple of kids and stuff. And I said, oh, brilliant. And I shook his hand and, you know, and she smiled and everything else. And, yeah, he finally met a girl, stopped hanging around with the lads that were getting him into trouble and he settled down and had a family. But there are people you can sometimes oh. get through to. Um, there are people you can talk through, talk to. Not everyone, but some you can get through to and talk to. If you don't, well, you tried. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you're not a soft touch, but you're – so what if people think you're a soft touch? Just talk I, to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I absolutely agree because, you know, we're all one – I've used this phrase, but we're all one pint away from being an alcoholic. Yeah. yeah. And we're all one mortgage default from – I say all, but, you know, yeah. a lot of people, one mortgage default from being homeless. Yeah. And so they say you're all three three bad decisions, aren't you, away from being homeless or something? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I wake up in the morning and I'm I'm lucky. Mm. You know, I've got a roof, I've got food, I've got a beautiful garden, etc., yeah. etc. So, three lovely dogs. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is it is fantastic. And your other volunteering, how did you get involved with volunteering for Essex, please? Because this is really important that anyone listening, if you've got time, the the police have never been so needy of of people to volunteer for them because society's growing and they need that extra support. How did you get involved with that? Well, that was through Neighbourhood Watch, to be honest. It was um, literally, there's an 80-year-old chap in my village. Um, he wanted me to help with the Neighbourhood Watch, bless him. So I started doing that. Um, I then, through a meeting I went to with him, met um, a lovely lady called Brenda Cross. Unfortunately, she's no longer with us. Again, another phenomenal lady who, unfortunately, battled cancer for many, many years and lost her battle Um recently uh, but a phenomenal lady and she was setting up something called dog watch which i've been involved in in the met and so we were introduced and we start we both have a love of tea and cake so um we would often meet at um at perrywoods at tip tree yep. lovely place to go and we would have our meetings there and we would talk about setting up that. I'd get involved in farm watch and other sort of watch yeah. where we'd bring people together to to look out and for you know to, to help prevent crime. And it was utilizing some of the things that I knew and networking. Because I think networking is a is one of our strongest things. And we can do that on a local level with our neighbors. We can do that slightly bigger, you know, with the police police service. I do that each year with the International Women's Day event. I work together with Essex Police, Fire and the Ambulance Trust. We put on a, a massive event every year. We do it for virtually nothing. Yeah. We do it online as well. We bring on teams. <coughs> so, you know, networking is our strongest thing. I've been a part of the British Association for Women in Policing since 96. Um, I won an award in 95. My father said at the time, there's a thin line between brave and stupid. Still don't know which side he put me on that, but anyway. So I won an award then and became part of BAWP then. What was the award for? Um, it was for dealing with two armed criminals on two separate occasions. So, as I said, I'm not quite sure which side of the brave 
or stupid bit I fall on, but um, it was disarming two armed criminals. I looked down the wrong end of a gun on the first occasion. Oh. Second occasion, I didn't give him the chance to. Um, so, yeah, it was um, for those two things, those two events. And I got to go to America to collect um, that award. So the BAWP work, that is really the epitome of networking, where we bring people from all across England, Wales, um, Scotland, Northern Ireland together for mentoring, coaching, as well as an annual event, which I help to run for the National Awards and CPD event, which is oh, in brilliant. June each year, which I'm in the midst of planning for, which it's a bit like a wedding. As soon as you finish one event, you start planning the next one. It, it rolls on. And this year we had 548 nominations for our 11, 11 categories. Wow. Um, so it's huge every year. And the quality of the work that comes in oh. every year is phenomenal. And I wish, I wish we could share it all. Because, you know, when people criticise, and some of the criticism, as we've discussed, is justified when we see what's in the news. But when you see what people are doing day in, day out, and the work that goes on out there, it's phenomenal. And there is some amazing people out there doing this work. So that is hugely rewarding, and that's why I do that for nothing as Brilliant. well. So there's that volunteering I do, um, as well as just little stuff in my own community, you know, and, and I think... We can all do our bit, but, yeah, I agree. you know, as, as far as doing stuff locally, that, that started very early through Brenda and through some great people I started to meet in Essex Police. And and I was just hugely impressed by the people I was meeting who, swan-like, you know, they, they appeared to be... Serene on you top. Know, serene on top. Yeah. There was so much work I realised very quickly going on in the background. Yeah. And I think, you know, if, if people got involved, there's a lot that can can be done. Yeah, and there is. There's a lot of cops that are working really, really hard that we can help and we can do more. And I think perhaps some people are a bit shy to get involved, and I get that. Mm. Um, perhaps they've spoken to the wrong people and haven't been encouraged to get involved. But there is a lot that we can do yeah, and get yeah, involved so. in. I interviewed a, a, a chap recently, uh, Mike Neville, who ran the Super Recognisers for the Met, and his volunteers got recognised by... The Home Secretary, mm. because of the work they did around CCTV and what have you. And there are so many people that would like to be Agatha Christie and Hercule Perot, and they can do their little bit to actually help mm. the police service with so many different things. And yeah, I, I know they have um, volunteer days and what have you, and hopefully that we can bolt something onto this so that people can get involved. But how did you get involved with the Police Dog Memorial? Because, I mean, for me, we, we did the car parks. There were a group of us mm. that did the car parks on that day. Uh, Paul Nichols, uh, I've known him for a, a long time. In fact, his grandfather was my dad's first sergeant. Oh, wow. So, and, he, and his dad was in the job, and his other grandfather I used to deliver newspapers to oh, when wow. I was 14. So I've known Paul one way or another for a long time. But how did you get involved in that? Well, Paul got in touch with me um, because... I um, I was I think my dog had done quite a big job uh, in the Met at the time, uh, the one I mentioned, um, and he he knew that I lived in Essex as well, and he contacted me and we we met up and he was talking about um, what he wanted to do his dream, which I thought was absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and I said I'd love to help, be honoured to help him, and I also um, knew. John Doubleday, the sculptor, the yep. world-renowned yeah, sculptor, yeah. and a friend of mine was his is his gardener. Right. So my thought was, 
John Doubleday has um, a studio on his property where he has students come in. And my thought was, I wonder if we could get John to get one of his students to do something for us. I never in a million years imagined we would get you know, a world-renowned sculptor yeah. to do our memorial. Yeah. So, you know, my friend John um, spoke to him and, and John Doubleday said, yes, yes, yes. He was, he's just an amazing character. I mean, what a blessing to have met him. Yeah. Talk about people with stories. My goodness me, every meeting with John Doubleday was an I can imagine. honour. My goodness me, if you can interview him, I'll arrange that. He's amazing. Yeah, I'd love to. Oh, my goodness, I'll arrange it. Fascinating man. So, you know, he arranged that we could go and see him. So Paul and I arrived all suited and booted, super smart. And I said, Paul, if we can just get him to arrange us to, you know, perhaps have a day when his students are here, that'd be amazing. So we arrived there and John, effervescent as ever with his arms in the air. Oh, come, come, come. I've just, I've had a little thought. I've done a little maquette. So he'd done this sort of clay model of a, a standing handler with a dog and we're sort of, I mean, Paul and I couldn't speak. We're looking at this thing and we're sort of, what, 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 what you think one of your students would be interested? He said, gosh, no. Oh, I'd like to do this myself. Oh, Aww. no, no. And we're sort of looking at each other and, are you all right, you two? Are you okay? You know, and we said, you'd like to do it? Why, yes, of course. And we, we were just, we had tears in our eyes. Yeah, I'll bet. And we just didn't know what to do. And he said, I think I'll. I think we'll have a cup of tea. I think we need to sit down and have a cup of tea. So we sat down and we were just blown away. And I've got to say, John is the most generous person. We could not have achieved that memorial without him. And we initially we were going to have the memorial at the National Arboretum, but no, John Doubleday had a he had an exhibition at Oakland's Park, and the maquette was there. The museum saw it. Um, it was then supported by Chelmsford Council. They wanted it at Oakland's Park, which was fantastic for us. Um, and and it, it just carried on from there. Fantastic. Uh, and, and it's there for everyone to see. And whenever I'm in Chelmsford, I have to go there. And I actually tweeted a photo. I took Baloo there um, a couple of weeks ago. And Baloo, obviously three legs. She's a Belgian Malinois. She sits very upright. And because the, the German Shepherd in the memorial is my dog, Carly. Right. A very big German Shepherd. And because of her size, she's got quite a big ruff around her chest, a very big ruff of hair. And because of her size, she sits slightly head forward. And I'll attach this picture, if I can, to this sort of podcast. Yeah, and please I do. And I took we'll the photo. And Baloo sits very upright. And the photo... The shadow of Baloo falls on the memorial. Oh. And when you look at it, I've shown this picture to everyone, the shadow is Carly. Really? Because you look at the shadow, the dog is slightly leaning forward and has got a big ruff and it isn't Baloo. And I've shown it to everyone who's gone, oh, spooky. that's Carly's shadow, that's spooky, and that's the word everybody uses. And you think she was saying hello that day. It's yeah, amazing. Brilliant. But yeah, we'll attach it. And Please do, and we'll people use that. Can as make your, their own opinion, but photo. it's amazing. What I mean, you you had the great and the good from from the police dog world there. Yeah, um, we had people come from all over, and it was fantastic to bring everyone together. Dame Cressida attended. Uh, Chief Constable Pippa Mills, I believe that she was yeah, there. Yeah. Roger Hurst, Rob you, Hansen, the who was the then the MPCC lead for for dogs. He came as well. Pippa Mills is now the MPCC lead for dogs, police dogs. Yeah. yeah. 
and and I mean it was it was an amazing, as I say, um, myself, Simon, Tim, and a few of the others. We 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 went and did the car parking, so it was it was it was lovely yeah. to be part and parcel of it. My brother turned up in in his city of London gear, but um, it was yeah, it was a, a great event. But your your work goes so far beyond the memorial and everything else. I mean, you've already said about you, you'll go to events and what have you. But this costs you money, Mandy. You know, your your dedication is such mm. that this costs you money. And, and but you've got the Baloo Fund, haven't you? Yeah, we set up um, we set up Team Baloo Fund. It's teambaloofund.org online, and that tells you Baloo's story, and it's got some lovely pictures of her. But what we were doing is uh, initially when Baloo was injured in 2018, and I got her in the December. Ross kept her for Christmas. Uh, he still sees her, still visits her. She's all over him. It's lovely. Not bad. Um, and she doesn't stress when he leaves, which is nice as well. Mm. Um, but um, we, I then took her to see Force Control Room and everyone who was on duty that night because they heard the screams when she was hit, oh, yeah. um, the stress of her being rushed to the vets. They didn't think she'd survive. She did. She was well looked after by Essex Police. Um, and as Mr Harrington and all of the all of Essex Police have supported her through her journey. And, and she's repaid the force um, and she became the well-being dog following, you know, me taking her to meet everyone who was on duty that night. And then a number of events happened. We had obviously the horrendous incident with the lorry, with the people who passed away. Yeah. And I visited that team and and supported by the trim. We don't intend to tread on anyone's toes as far as the trim team or other counselling or other support. We're an extra tool with that in the people will talk to the dog and in virtue of that, you know, me as well. Yeah. So obviously I've had training. And as a result of Baloo doing this visit, um, Gary Bottrell, incredible man, he's um, set up Oscar Kilo 9. And there's over 150 dogs now nationally. And 39 of the 43 forces have got Oscar Kilo dogs. And in Essex Police, we've got four. So we've got, I've got Baloo and Rex, a Dutch herder. And we've also got um, Cassie and Claude, two gorgeous, sweetest retrievers um, for the well-being dogs in Essex Police. So Brilliant. we go in after there's an incident. But because Baloo's got a special story, I additionally go and do school visits, um, church groups, scouts, uh, and so on, because she's got that extra story to tell. And though it's sad in the beginning that she was hit by a car uh, and has got this injury, so much has so much good has come from mm. it since that it's a very happy ending. But and it goes on. She's now six, and I always said that I will do these visits while she enjoys them. When you watch her on a visit, laying on her back, having her tummy tickled, and having cuddles, you can see how much she enjoys it, and I'll continue to do that. But um, when I was doing visits, for example, it was to a centre with adults and children with learning difficulties. I noticed they all enjoyed the the artworks that they were doing, but they didn't have a lot. So I went back and I'd bought some bits and pieces and I went back another day and just dropped them all off. And I thought with the cost of fuel and everything, because obviously I'm a volunteer, I don't get any mileage yeah. expenses or anything else. Um, thought, yeah, this is starting to cost a bit much. And I'm really supported well by some friends who said, let's put together a Team Baloo Fund. So that's where teambaloofund.org came from. And that's not for money to look after Baloo. Baloo, should she need anything, would be well looked after by the Essex Retired Police Who are Fund. absolutely fantastic. They're an amazing group of volunteers, um, and they're also part of the Association of Retired Police Dog Charities. 
who are amazing people who look after... When a police dog retires, they are not looked after by the force. They can't be... If, if a force is looking after its retired dogs, it can't then fund the dogs it's got. So, you know, when they retire, they're looked after by the handler yeah. or someone that the handler can trust looks after the dog. Um, so the Re Essex Retired Police Dog Fund, we help also to raise funds for them um, and they will look after the retired police dogs. So Baloo would be looked after by them should she need it. And they've looked after her twice when um, she needed to be x-rayed um, to make sure all the nuts and bolts in her pelvis um, are in the right place still. And another time when, bless her, she only got one front paw and she got a blackthorn in it. Oh, no. I know. There's your luck. I know. And the dignity when I had to carry her outside to go to the toilet and she glared at me, look the other <laughs> way, okay? So you're holding a dog up to go to the toilet and, oh, bless her. But, um, yeah, the wonderful people who run the Essex Retired Police Dog Fund paid for, for that veterinary treatment as well, which is lovely of them. So it's not to look after Baloo. It's for basically the visits we do. Yeah. Um, if there's anything that we can help with. And also we have these little crocheted baby balloons made. So if I do a visit um, for a child who's having a tough time, anything like that, we take along one of these little baby balloons to give them. And it's a great comfort for them. After a visit, they get to keep a little baby balloon. And that's made by, uh, it's called Lara's Cottage Crafts. And you can buy those online. She's on Facebook and also from the Artisans Hub at the Blake Centre. Yeah, All the links street. will be on this page, okay? So Fabulous, anyone who's yeah. listening to this, if you want to contribute, if you want to buy anything, everything will be on the main page for this podcast. Sorry. Lovely, yes. Yeah. So the baby balloons we buy from that as well. So, yeah, if any donations want to be made to that, because, yeah, it does, uh, it does cost me quite a bit, but it's money well spent. And people say to me, yeah, why do you spend all your time doing this and volunteering doing this? And I say to them, come with me. Oh. Come with me on a visit. Just watch the smiling faces. I was last night. I was at the Jaguar Car Club at uh, the Crown at Sandon. What a lovely group of people, yeah. you know. And it it was lovely. And um, you know, as I was leaving, I'm I'm handed a, a you know a pile of cash. They they donated over sixty six pounds to to the Team Blue Fund. And Brilliant. how kind is that? You know, I don't expect anything. I don't ask for anything. No. But they asked, you know, do you, do you get expenses and things? And I said, no, no, I do all this voluntarily. And while they're all fussing her, I was aware of something going on. I wasn't quite sure. I thought it was to do with their evening. But they decided to, you know, have a have a whip round in a pint pot um, for the Team Baloo Fund. And how kind is that? Yeah, that's that's really nice. That's brilliant. I thought that was very generous. No, it's really appreciated by the fund. And that's happened a couple of times. And all of every penny of that, you know, is accounted for. And that goes oh, yeah. for you know, everything to do with the work we do. And I think it's fair to say that the association is the association for for the UK. Yes. Oh, there are other people that may think that they're doing the right thing, but the association, if, if people want to donate money, do it through the association. Don't do it through any other third parties, just do it. No, there's, um, there's for looking after retired police dogs, there's the Association of Retired Police Dogs that covers the, you can look at them, there's the 18 local retired police dog funds. Yeah. And there's then the National Fund for Retired Service Animals. Right. That's been set up recently by Lady Bathurst. Bathurst, Who yeah. I was honoured to meet at Crufts. What a fantastic lady I she bet. is. Ah, what a character. I'd like to interview her. Oh, my goodness, you <laughs> must. She is just amazing, wonderful lady. 
So yes, if it's um, if if you haven't got a local retired police dog charity, look at the association to see if you have a local one. If you haven't, that's the national charity yeah. to to go to the National Fund Foundation for Retired Service Animals. They cover police dogs, prison dogs, you know the military, the um, horses, everything. Yeah. They're phenomenal. Again, very open with their accounts and everything that they do, and yeah. just phenomenal people. Just Pleasure steer, to meet them. We just want people to steer away from the the ad hoc, you know, by any other name. Yeah. You know, that's basically... They're, they're the people to go for. If you want to go national, then that's the one to go for. To be honest, if if you went for the national, the NFRSA, and there was a local one, that fund, actually, when I was at Crufts, they were given some money um, because they said... And the people said, oh, this is for... Um, this is for you. And the, she asked them where they lived. And she said, no, there's actually a fund for that force. And she took that money with those people over to the stand that were there. Wow. And it was the um, the West Mercia. And it was the Pippers. West Mercia. Yeah. And, and she took the money with the people Brilliant. over to that stand and put it in their pot. Did you so go they, the... they would never take money from another fund. No, for another area. So if you want to be sure... Contact the NFRSA or the association to make sure the money goes to the right fund or the right people. Did you go in the ring at Cross? Yes, I was. Um, I was lucky enough to be Pippa Mills's guest last year and this year, and it's phenomenal to oh, see. Yeah. It really, really is. And I was so proud to see the hero. I mean, all the hero dogs mm. every year are fantastic stories, but I was so proud to see um, PC Claire Todd and Stella the Staffy oh, yes. win this year because Stella the Staffy. What you know? What an ambassador for the breed at the time when Stella the Staffy was rescued from, rescued by the RSPCA, and and Toddy took her on, and at that time Staffies were getting such a bad press, and she became a sniffer dog, and 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 Claire's looked after her. Claire's had her own challenges health wise, which I'm not speaking out of turn. No, that, no, that has been shared. She's had her own health challenges and has you know overcome those as. You know, and Stella's been super. I did love that Stella stole the fluffy microphone cover. <laughs> yeah, I saw but that. Every dog handler would watch that bit and would see that seamlessly Claire bent down with a treat, gave Stella a treat, and flipped the microphone cover back to the cameraman. <laughs> That's a dog handler for you. That's a proper dog handler who knew what to do and flicked that microphone cover back with a smile. Yeah, you can have that back. But, yeah, I was really proud and pleased that she won that. In fact, um, I did share on my Twitter the coverage. I'm sitting on the, the red seats ringside and you see my little pink jacket arms go up in the air Brilliant. cheering for her when she won it. I was really pleased for her. Yeah. It's nice when good people are recognised. Oh, yeah, I do absolutely. like that. Well, I'd like to interview her as well, if at all possible. Yeah, if you I'll get it. I, yeah. I will introduce you. It, it, uh, do you know what? I love your enthusiasm and you're so passionate about the subject and you are part of that family, aren't you? That is your... You never leave it. You, you, yeah. It's there with you. It's ingrained and I think it's fantastic. You, you've spoken of your highlights, but, what you know, there must have been downtimes whilst you were in the... I don't want to finish on a down no, and I'm no. not going to. No, but, there, you there's know. always some difficult times, but I think that's where, that's where the police dog family, the good people will help each other. I mean, that's when if something happens, we will see if something's happened and uh, the dog family will pull together. If we will see if one of our colleagues has had a tough time, we will look after each other. We will contact them and yeah. we will say, oh, tough break or, 
you know, one of our colleagues will contact us, my dog failed at this or this happened, and we'll look after each other. You know, I can remember my, you know, my last dog, her first bite, uh, her first chase. Your first chase is always a difficult one because it's never quite as you've trained for. <laughs> so, and I can remember her first chase, quite a simple chase, the person's run, and he's got a thick black leather jacket on, and he's run, and as he's got to, it was the outside of a basketball court. Uh, just on Brixton's ground, and he's run. My dog's got to him. Lovely take on the right arm, um, but he's just slipped out of the jacket and he's literally climbed up the the mesh fencing. And it's a basketball court, so it's a good, it's a good ten meters high. And he's yeah. literally gone up it. So of course, as he slipped out of the jacket, she spat the jacket out, and he's already up. And she's jumping at his legs, but can't get them. Right. So he's got over, and of course he's away, and I can't get round to him. And, of course, he's laughing as he's running away, and I'm putting up that he's gone, and she's jumping at the fence yeah. and can't get round. And I thought, well, we always say karma, I'll get him another time. Well, I did get him another oh, time. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I did, um, and, and she was dragging him out of a bush because he was kicking out at her. And as I'm pulling him out, I recognised him and went, ha-ha, <laughs> karma. <laughs> you know, and then I did, obviously, was more, you know, more professional and did arrest him properly. But I, I did admit and put it in my nose, ha, karma. But, of course, I had to put that in brackets because, obviously, I can't mention the fact that I had previous dealings no. with him. But I said it, so it's in my notes, but obviously not when I gave evidence because they, why have you put that? Yeah. Well, you don't really want me to mention that, do you? You know, yeah. I had previous dealings. Oh, I see. So they did understand why I put it. But And I, I got back to the base, had my head in my hands and said, oh, she lost her first chase. And the guys went, how many dogs have you had? You know, you know your first chase is always difficult. Your next one is... You know, she's got to be even more determined. You know she's a good dog. You know she's done this. And yeah. then literally a couple of nights later, I'm driving along, car flashes me, and I'm like, yeah. And I buzz the window down. Mate, round the corner, someone's breaking into a car. And I went, oh, okay. And I thought, because we used to set each other up things, and I thought, is this a setup? You know, and I thought it might be. It might be one of my mates setting me up a little bit of a chase. So I went, yeah. okay. So I quietly go around the corner there's literally this guy hanging out of a car and stuff, and then he leans out and runs down. He ran down the middle of the road, and it's a quiet road towards, would you believe, Catford Dogs Track, <laughs> which is now closed at this stage. And he's running down the middle of the road, and it's a dead end. It goes to actually to the dog track and eventually under an arch to a park. And I'm thinking, is this a set? I've sent the dog because I you know, need to catch him because he's obviously broken into this car. Sent the dog. Just gets to the archway out of sight, and I'm thinking, oh, I hope she's got him. And then she's dragging him back by the arm, and I thought, yeah, got him. And I thought, oh, it's a good setup, lovely. So I'm running up, and then I look at him and realise it's not a setup. It's a, it's a oh, suspect. Oh my gosh, it's a proper job. <laughs> you know, so yeah, so I get hold of him, and I think, oh, I better tell someone else. You know, so, yeah, I've got a suspect detained. Blah blah blah. And I thought Brilliant. this was just a. So I told nobody about this, thinking, oh, it's just a training exercise. I'd better tell the world about this. So, yeah, he'd broken into a car. Excellent. I never did wonder why this chap was down this dead Anyway, but let's not wonder why this chap was down this dead end road, but there we go. Yeah, it's, but, it's, it's, so, yeah, you go from my dog's Mr. Chase, but we didn't know why this guy was running in the first place, the one that did get away. Probably had something on him he shouldn't have had or whether he was wanted at the time, I don't know, but he'd run away from us. We don't know why he'd ran from a, a car that everybody else had stood there. And they were angry that he'd run away because obviously then they were being properly searched and everything else. And they said, we've done a wise run. But 
So you go from the low of thinking, oh, what was that about? But, yeah, I've dealt with much worse things and they're the things you're not going to talk about yeah. because they are awful and they're the things that stay with you. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, that's why I do what I do and that's why I take my dog in, that's why I take Baloo and also Rex in as that sort of icebreaker, as that bit of fun and also when something serious has happened mm. because people talk to me and the dog um, and I make sure I don't do the counselling, but I make sure I signpost and I say to people, don't, don't, don't be Mandy. Don't get to the end of 30 years and then sleep for three months, mm. um, you know, and, and then try and deal with it um, because I'm fine now. But I think after 30 years, I was heavily bruised and I was in a, not in a great place, you know, and I'm fine now, but I think we should look after people better. Oh, I agree. Um, and I say, don't be like me, talk to each other. I think the best therapy is talking to each other as well as, you know, everything else. And we don't do that now. There are no canteens. No. There's none of that talking to each other. I think we've also, I think there's a lot of criticism of what we call this generation. Oh, they don't talk to each other. They do. They might be doing it on Snapchat and they might be sitting next to each other on talking to each other on Snapchat, but they do talk to each yeah. other more. And I think they're a bit more open about their feelings than perhaps my generation was and oh, others. Oh, Absolutely. Um, particularly that roughly tufty generation of the 80s and 90s. Let's get on with it, lad. Get back out there. You know, but that's why I do what I do because we need to look after people. I think retention is key. There's a lot into recruitment. Oh. We've got people in the job now as police officers and staff that we need to be looking after. Yeah, we do. And I think you've got them in. You've got them trained. You've got them with uniform and equipment. Look after them better. The sickness management they've got in place – they can identify when there's a, a trend, when there's a yeah. problem. But it's the later in service officers that are struggling more because it's around change. A lot yeah. of it's around change and the acceptance of change and how how they deal with it. And of course, people's lifestyles change as well. Mm. You know, there's no decompression anymore. No. There's none of this the sociability in policing has gone because of the way the shift structure yeah. structures are. The fact that people travel so far to go to work as well, they're mm. not going to kick around after a late turn and go for There's a There's no curry beers. after the late turn after nights. No. You do seven nights, you do a late turn, and you go for a curry afterwards. You know, it wasn't a drinking thing. It was just go for a curry. See in a few it, days. Yeah, yeah. You'd have one drink perhaps and then it'd be a pint of Coke yeah. or whatever, but it'd be that couple of beers, yeah. wouldn't it? You know, a couple of Cokes and off you'd go. But you would have that decompression time. Yeah. And... If there'd been a harsh word ex exchanged, it'd be, cool, you're a bit stroppy after that. Oh, sorry about that, mate. Yeah, I was, oh, no. God, my head was buzzing. Did you see what happened? No. Oh, blimey, you didn't say. And it would all be dealt with, whereas now it, it sort of stays Grudges. and it yeah. goes on. And, you know, I think the the chats at the coffee machine, they're gone. We're all on teams and things now. And you don't get to speak sometimes and you think, well, that's a waste of time going to that meeting yeah. or being on that meeting because I didn't even really get a chance to say much. Or, yeah. well, why were they on it? They didn't even give, you know, say much. Whereas they may have been making copious notes and, you know, away from the meeting, they do a lot of work. Yeah. But at the meeting, they don't seem to do a lot. It is a, it is a real shame. Look, I don't think we're going to change it, but I do hope that there are changes made. The reduction in, in police buildings across the UK, London in particular, that will have a marked impact on community policing. Mm. And the police are the community at the end of the day. And we've, we've got to interact more. There are fewer of us. Yeah. Us. You know, us. I still, yeah, but I still keep us. saying us, yeah. But 
there's fewer, so our interaction got to be good. And with, there's people still whizzing from one call to another. And we know that, you know, from, from the 80s when I joined, the majority of crime was on the streets, in houses, in public houses and so on. Majority of crime now is online. And we do have a lot of people working in buildings on that crime, yeah. and that has to be the case. But we still do need a presence out there. Well, the other crimes still take, and I'd be interested to see what the figures are. If, you know, if you if you took a snapshot of thirty years ago, where we were just getting into the online culture, and what it is today, because there are still burglaries taking place. Yeah, yeah there's not as many armed robberies. I wouldn't imagine, mm. you know, cash in transit things like that. But but all the other stuff, you, the the violence, crime, nighttime economy, and all that mm. sort of stuff. There's there's going to be well, that's if people report it. Yeah. Because there is a reluctance to report now, whereas before it was always, you know, that people would report because they felt it was their duty. Now there's a, the only people that report is because they've got an insurance claim yeah. to make. So, you know, f from a personal perspective, I would always say to people, report everything. Yeah, I always do. Report everything. You know, when I was in the job, report everything because unless the district commander knows what's happening in that particular street, you're not going to get any changes. No, I mean, Nick Bracken, I don't know if you ever worked with Nick, but he was um, he was in the Met, he was commander in the Met, and he's, he was brought up in East London, not far from Forest Gate, Nick. And there was a burglary down a particular street, and legend has it that people say, well, there's no none of this. And he said, well, hold on, at number 32, Mrs Brown... She had CCTV fitted by her son, and it, and he went through a whole. It's because his parents lived in that road. Mm. They still. He was a special constable. He knew what the community were about, mm. and that's what's lost, you know, with with a lot of yeah. a lot of policing now. But no, it's it's great, and what I would like to say is, thank you so much for sharing your experiences. I mean. We we talked earlier on about the Dangerous Dogs Act, and we won't go into that one. But you know how how things mm. have evolved, and how you became an instant expert overnight in nineteen ninety one. Yeah. All of a sudden, you mm. you handled a dog. You must know about pit bulls. Yeah, it's like really no. It, it it just didn't happen. But before we go any further, I mean, is there anything you'd like to add, alter, or correct? I know that's a, a phrase that we used to use in the police. Yeah. But no, I just I I love my time in policing so much. So as I say, I volunteer my time now. But I just think while you can make a difference, do just just make that difference however you do it, whether you volunteer your time, you know, getting involved in something you love or or just doing your own thing. But if you can, be kind. Take time to, you know, get to know people and do things. Just just do things that make you smile. Absolutely. You know, just do take time and take time for yourself, whether it's taking time to, you know, go for a walk. But I think... You know, the last few years, I think the COVID years sort of made people realise what was important to them. Yeah. Suddenly when we couldn't go anywhere, people realised what was important to them. And, you know, tell people around you you love them. You don't have to be drunk to tell people you love them. Just no. tell people how much they mean to you. Get out and enjoy things, you know, enjoy life. Yeah, absolutely agree. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. We will put all your links onto the page. and. If people want to get hold of you, you've got Twitter, the whole lot, and we will make sure that people connect with you and the fantastic work that you undertake. Thank you. Mandy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you.